Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is our Rattlecast pre-show for uh, Tuesday, October 15th. We have a great show lined up for you today. As always, Aaron Puchigian is our guest. He's the author of a bunch of books, including Mr. Either Or, which we'll uh, get to in just a little bit. But first... What the pre-show is going to be is just the um, initial warm-up to make sure everything's working. I'm going to play some poems. We're going to be talking a little bit. If you have any chat questions for me, just let me know. But this is the time we can all kind of gather around and start kicking off our shoes and finding a comfortable chair and uh, getting ready to Rattlecast. First of all, I should say Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry since 1995. We're entirely independent and uh, just do it for the love of poetry. Um, now, what I'm going to do with these pre-shows usually is uh, we'll look at today, the uh, daily poem uh, from Poets Respond, so the most recent news poem, and um, we'll kick it off that way. And um, so this Sunday's news poem was written by David Kirby. This is Third Time's a Charm. And um, sort of a, a lighthearted take on the news for a change. So I thought I would, what we're going to do is we'll play the uh, most recent Poets Respond poem. And then we will just do a couple more poems that sort of made me think of it. Then we'll bring in the poet at six o'clock. And that's six o'clock my time, Pacific time. Um, that way everybody can sort of settle in. You don't have to get here early, but if you want to get some extra poetry in, you're more than welcome to. And here is David Kirby reading his poem, Third Time's a Charm. David Kirby is a professor of English at Florida State University. He's the author of about 30 books of poetry, most recently more than this, uh, which came out this summer, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. You can find more on him at davidkirby.com. But here he is with Third Time's a Charm. Third Time's a Charm. Don't you wish the president would just shut up? I mean, why comment on everything all the time? Let's hear it for silence. Yes, the helicopter of the world is always circling overhead, but only rarely and usually never does it suddenly fix its spotlight on the genius that is you. What does he expect, a chattering dolphin to rear up in front of his every tweet, answer to a journalist, remark to a staffer who's not supposed to leak it but does it go chee-chee-chee-chee? Mozart ends the magic flute with the words, Triumphant strength has rewarded beauty and wisdom with an eternal crown. But he was Mozart. Even ordinary jibber-jabber can go too far, as when you give someone a present and they say, You didn't have to do that. And you think, I know I didn't have to, but I wanted to, though I'm having second thoughts now. Or someone brings a casserole to your potluck and you say, Oh, how lovely. And they say, Yeah, but it's way salty. Plus, I left it in the oven too long. And you think, My... Doesn't that sound delicious? Actually, it was Mozart's librettist, Emmanuel Schikaneder, who wrote the end of the magic flute as well as the rest of it, but still. Doesn't the president have speechwriters? The divorce firm of Tyden, Gross, and Callahan works out of Friendship Village, Maryland. I'm not making this up. And recently represented a wealthy Islamic gentleman who invoked the ancient law of Talak by saying, I divorced thee three times to his wife and bestowing the sum of $2,500 on her while retaining the bulk of their $2 million estate for himself. The Maryland Court of Appeals said no, however, stipulating that the talak did not afford the same protections of due process, prenuptial agreements, and division of property that Maryland law did, a ruling in which the court joined by those Islamic scholars who say it isn't right 
to invoke the talak in one sitting and that there should be at least a period of time between the, quote, three strikes, end quote, as well as other learned devotees of that venerable faith who say, the talak is reprehensible and shouldn't be used at all. Every time the president goes, yada, 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 I wish Mitch McConnell would say, I impeach thee, I impeach thee, I impeach thee, and he'd disappear like the witch in the Wizard of Oz. And here I'm just referring to the president's banal and mendacious utterances, and not the ugly ones like grabbing somebody by their you-know-what. In this respect, he could at least take lessons in subtlety from 18th century German writer Georg Christian Lichtenberg, who said of the prostitutes he encountered in London that, quote, they attach themselves to you like limpets, and they seize hold of you after a fashion of which I can give you the best notion by the fact that I say nothing about it, end quote. Now you're talking. So that was David Kirby reading Sunday's Poets Respond poem, Third Time's a Charm, which, um, I don't know, a couple places there really cracked me up. I really enjoyed that poem. I hope you did too. I thought maybe we would also play, um, since I found out just now, that um, David's most recent book, uh, More Than This, is um, uh, we published the title poem of that back in issue number 50, so I thought I would play that for you, too. And here's David Kirby again, reading his poem, More Than This. More Than This. When you tell me that a woman is visiting the grave of her college friend, and she's trying not to get irritated at the man in the red truck who keeps walking back and forth and dropping tools as he listens to a football game on the truck radio, which is much too loud, I start to feel as though I know where this story is going, so I say, stop, you're going to make me cry. How sad the world is. When young men died in the mud of Flanders, the headmaster called their brothers out of the classroom one by one, but when the older brothers began to die by the hundreds every day, they simply handed the child a note as he did his lessons, and of course the boy wouldn't cry in front of the others, though at night the halls were filled with the sound of schoolboys sobbing for the dead, young men only slightly older than themselves. Yet the world's beauty breaks our hearts as well, the old cowboy is riding along, and he looks down at his dog, and he realizes she died a long time ago, and that his horse did as well. And this makes him wonder if he is dead, too. And as he's thinking this, he comes to a big shiny gate that opens onto a golden highway, and there's a man in a robe and white wings. And when the cowboy asks him what place this is, the man tells him it's heaven and invites him in, though he says animals aren't allowed. So the cowboy keeps going till he comes to an old rusty gate with a road full of weeds and potholes on the other side and a guy on a tractor. And the guy wipes his brow and says, You three must be thirsty. Come in and get a drink. And the cowboy says, Okay, but what is this place? And the guy says, It's heaven. And the cowboy says, Then what's that place down the road with the shiny gate and the golden highway? And when the guy says, Oh, that's hell, the cowboy says, Doesn't it make you mad that they're pretending to be you? And the guy on the tractor says, No. We like it that they screen out the folks who desert their friends. You tell me your friend can't take it anymore, and she turns to confront the man who's making all the noise, to beg him to leave her alone with her grief, and that's when she sees that he's been putting up a Christmas tree on his son's grave, and that he's grieving too, but in his own way, one that isn't better or worse than the woman's, just different, the kind of grief that says the world is so beautiful that it will give you no peace. That was More Than This by David Kirby. 
as you saw, that was an issue number 50 of Rattle, and that was also a finalist for the 2000, what year was that? 2015 Rattle Poetry Prize, and also won the Reader's Choice Award, if I remember right. So, um, an excellent poem, and that's the title poem of David Kirby's uh, most recent book, which just came out in August. So check that out. Look for David Kirby and more than this. Now, uh, before I move on to a few more poems, I just wanted to say, um, if you would like to call in and join the open mic after we talk to Aaron Pachigian, all you have to do is um, send me a chat message over Skype, and um, we will get to you. I will call you back when the time is right, around about about an hour from now. Um, we already have uh, four poets lined up on the uh, pre-recorded open mics. We have Alexander Antich, Eric Bischoff, J. Thomas Brown, and Ally Henley. So we'll have at least four poems on the open mic after we're done with Aaron. But um, if you'd like to join in, and uh, we also have um, both Patrick Murphy and Joshua Corwin have already said they'd like to join in on the Skype open mic. So if you would like to do that too, once again, just make sure you have Skype on your phone or computer or whatever you're watching this through, and uh, send me a chat message at Rattle Poetry, all one word. I'll reply to let you know you're on, and then just kind of hang around and wait until we're done in about an hour with Aaron Pachigian, and we will um, uh, we will get you on the open mic. Let's do maybe one or two more open mic poems. Now the thing about the David, the first David Curry poem is it did it was funny, and it's rare to have a uh, Light-hearted poems about current events because current events are so serious uh, most of the time, and uh, maybe want to do a couple of poems from um, our humor issue. I think we only have time for about maybe may have one probably really. Um, so we'll do this poem. This is by Rick Lupert, and uh, it's from issue number uh, issue number thirty-one, which you can see here of Rattle, which is a tribute to humor. This is. Uh, Rick Lupert's poem, Rules for Poetry. Rick Lupert is the creator of Poetry Superhighway, which you can find at poetrysuperhighway.com, a really great website that compiles a whole lot of things about um, about poetry. There's a great free poetry contest. I think, if I remember right, everybody who enters wins a prize, in addition to there being a first prize winner. Um, he's also um, published about two dozen collections of poetry, um, most recently, at the time of my bio, is Beautiful Mistakes and God Wrestler, but he writes a lot of books of poetry. If I remember right, um, he came to our reading series about a um, maybe a year or two ago, and he said that he goes on vacation and makes a book for each vacation. And that's how he remembers uh, his vacations by, and also that's how he makes books. So I thought that was a great um, idea for something to do um, for a poet. So, But here is Rick Lupert reading his rules for poetry from our humor issue. Rules for Poetry Never use adjectives unless you're trying to describe something and you don't want to do it the hard way. Never use the word forever. It reminds people they're going to die. And the last thing you need is people distracted by their mortality during your poem. Write what you know, unless you're a fool, in which case, look to the internet and write about something there. Avoid vowels and their angry sister, the letter Y. Avoid cliché. On the other hand, 
Learn the difference between epigraphs, epigrams, and episiotomies. Use as few words as possible. In fact, hand out blank sheets of paper and tell them it's your finest work. If you ever use the phrase, darkness in my soul, be prepared for me to come to your house and kill you. If you're going to write in form, do it right. For example, as I understand it, a haiku is 800 words written while sitting on a cheesecake. Line breaks are important, but use them carefully. Once you've broken a line, its mother will never forgive you. Finally, go to poetry workshops. Sometimes they serve food, and you can't write poetry if you're dead because you forgot to eat. So that was uh, that was Ray Lupert reading his rules for poetry, and I hope you take his advice. Um, okay, so it's 6 o'clock, and now we are going to throw up the bumper music and the splash screen. I'm going to call Aaron Puchigian, and... Um, and uh, we'll, we'll jo- be joined by our guests. So, so hang on for just one second, and uh, we'll be right back with uh, Rattlecast number 13. And thanks to everybody for waiting. Uh, that um, Our guest is on the line. Uh, today's poet is Aaron Pachigian. Uh, he has a PhD in classics from the University of Minnesota and an MFA from po- uh, in poetry from Columbia University. He has a book of translations from Sappho, Stung with Love. Um, it was published by Penguin Classics in 2009. He has a translation of Apollonius. Um, so he has a bunch of uh, translation work. His first book of original poetry is The Cosmic Purr from Abel Muse Press, which was winner of, of the 2016 Abel Muse Press Poetry Prize. His second book, Manhattanite, was published in the fall of 2017. And he's the author of this new thriller in verse, uh, Mr. Either Or, which I'll throw up on screen now. This is Mr. Either Or, a novel in verse. And... Um, I just wanted to read this one blurb on the back, because this is exactly what I thought of the book myself. This is by Gregory Dowling. 
uh, Mr. Either Or is like nothing else you will have read. You have to imagine Raymond Chandler, Edgar Rice Burroughs, H.P. Lovecraft, the scriptwriters of The Sopranos, Robert Browning, and the author of Beowulf, all being miraculously melded into one supremely talented writer with a gift for rhyme, for metrical verse, and for extravagant but spot-on metaphors. There is no other voice quite like this in contemporary fiction or contemporary poetry, ranging from coolly colloquial to wittily literate, and when called for, straightforwardly thrilling. Puchigian is enjoying himself. Read this book and you will enjoy yourself too. And um, that's just exactly what I thought. It was such a fun book. And um, I'm so glad that Aaron wrote it and that he could join us today. And here he is, Aaron Puchigian. Hi, Aaron. Um, hello. hello. Um, nice to see you, Timothy. And thank you for having me. Oh. I enjoy seeing the sunlight behind you there in California. <laughs> it's already dark here in New York. Yeah, well, it's actually still sunlight for a while, but we are up in the mountains. So we, um, so we have darkness earlier than everybody else. So it's starting to be sunset here, uh, but nowhere else. Um, so, so you're calling from New York, right? I am, yes. And, um, and you used to live in L.A. or in uh, San F- Fresno? Um, where were you? I lived in Fresno, California for a while. Uh-huh. And um, enjoyed traveling down, yes, once for a, a rattle reading there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And a couple of readings, um, yes, in Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you start us out with a with a poem for a mystery either or? But first, you were going to read um, something else. You gave me the little notes, but I thought um, section one point two would be a really good way to start. Do you think? Would you mind reading that to sort of kick it off? Because that that's what introduces the character. Yes, I would love to. Okay. Um, Washington Square playground of NYU, and you are in the grass, your shoes and socks like sloughed snakeskin around you, speed chess players at concrete tables cuss and slap their clocks as cops with nothing 911 to do roust dormant derelicts from greenhouse layers of coats and trash. Nearby, a ginkgo tree, and under it, a blonde in horn-rimmed glasses, eating up the stranger by Camus. You almost feel at home in this milieu. For five years now, you have been skipping classes, tipping beers, and averaging a C to mask your hazardous identity. The wicked one, known only to a few code-numbered codgers in the FBI. Somewhere at Quantico, a dossier redacts your selfless service as a fly, collecting wide-eyed snapshots for defense, a freak inferno burning evidence, a ricin prick, a Betty Bye bouquet, and all too often the unlucky guy sent in the long last seconds of suspense to snip the ticker and defuse a war. Who knows? Someday it might be nice to play one person. But for now you live as two, student and agent, Mr. Either or. Your cell starts bellowing as if on cue, and the ringtone, the theme to Peter Gunn, can only mean Director Uh-Oh-One, your handler, since you signed for covert ops. Talk to me, Maestro Mio. What's the word? 
Tarnation, kid. This latest caper tops even that Roswell mess. You ever heard of Wan Lee? Nope. The Dragon's Claw? Duh, no. A wind-up pause, a cough. Here comes the pitch. Well, long about 400 years ago, Gaspar von Radzel, this absurdly rich nut of a Dutchman, sailed from Port Manhattan to old New Amsterdam to Port Peking. Then, after swapping cotton socks for satin, porcelain, oolong tea, that sort of thing, he paid respects at the Forbidden City, kowtowed a quick farewell, and shipped at dawn. The mess he left astern, though, wasn't pretty. Emperor Wan Lee raised a foo for because some hoodoo called the dragon's claw, some nonsense in a carved jade box had gone missing. You'd think the stuff was devil spawn, fire and brimstone, lightning, shock and awe, the way their goddamn grimoire rambles on. Welp, when a culprit never came to light, the Ming were sure as shit that blatherskite Gaspar had up and run some duchy con, swiped it from under the imperial nose, and sailed for Gotham. So the legend goes, and that was all it was, until last night I get this call. Heinrich Van Radsel, heir to old Van Radsel's fortune telling me he's got the damn thing at his pita-tear on Hellgate Hill. Seems Heine and his noble forebears never mustered nads enough to pop the padlock. There's a curse, you see. Squiggles along the lid, foreboding global hell and all, if jimmied. One big bluff, but what's inside? If not the end of days, some musty bio-weapon? Anyways, he wants us feds to take it off his hands. There have been threatening phone calls, gruff demands he cough it up and pay some silly fee. We traced the calls back to a Maoist gang known as the Righteous Fists of Harmony. Big boys in Chinatown. They make their money off cocaine and this cat house called the Tang. You know it? Yeah. Well, don't get any funny ideas. Listen, all you gotta do is march old Heine and the merchandise downtown to Warehouse Delta, 90 blocks. And kid, do not go rooting for the prize hidden in this particular cereal box. Whatever might be in there ain't for you. Course, our already strained and fraying ties to China mean this little interview ain't never happened. Son, you on your own. The twang has twangled, so you close the phone. Well, thank you, uh, Aaron. It's an excellent way to start the book. That's one of the earlier chapters or sections or whatever you'd call it in, in Mr. Either Or. Um, and I think that shows really the, the fun of the book. It's really a, really an entertaining read, and I really really enjoyed it. I read it all afternoon, so uh, thanks so much for sending it to me. Um, let me ask to start off. Can you want to, do you want to just introduce the book and sort of explain what it's about? And um... yes, I wanted in Mister Either Or. It actually came from a time when I decided I was just going to give up everything and be a poet and put everything I wanted, everything I loved the most, into one book. 
Um, and so I combined all of my favorite epic poetry from Beowulf and the Odyssey and Milton's Paradise Lost and Byron's Don Juan. And then I took noir thriller, um, such as by Raymond Chandler, and threw it all into the mix. I decided also um, because... Um, I wanted the reader to have, an, uh, I wanted it to, it to be blatantly escapist. I put it in the second person so that the reader becomes the you and has all of these experiences, these outrageous, adventurous experiences one normally doesn't get to experience in one's life. Um, and um, the novel is about um, you, who are a dude, just a guy in your early 20s, who are an undercover FBI agent. You are undercover as a student at NYU University, and you are called in um, to recover um, a Chinese box called the Dragon's Claw that contains, well, special powers, um, evil powers. <laughs> um, in the course of the novel, you have um, a romance, though you start out not liking each other very much, with Li Ling Levine, who is um, in charge of the Asian wing of the Metropolitan Museum. She's a conservationist and curator um, there. And with her help, then, you eventually um, recover this box and neutralize its power before it can destroy the world. Yeah, great summary. Um, so, so let me ask, um, what do you think, I'm really interested about the form, because there aren't very many novels in verse written these days. Um, and so what made you want to write a book like this? And, um, and um, what do you think is like lost and gained from, um, from using the style of, a, of novel in verse? Okay. Yeah, thank you for asking. The, um, there are two major modes that I combined in the novel. Um, and so for action scenes, I use the meter of Beowulf, a pounding four-beat line with lots of alliteration. And I'll read an example of that later on. Mm -hmm. And I wanted those action scenes to be like the choreographed action scenes in the movie, in the Matrix movies, for example, where they're half fighting, half dance. Um, and then for the expository scenes, when, um, yes, the narration is moving forward and characters are talking to each other, the non-action scenes, then I use... Um, Iambic pentameter, the rhythm of epic from Milton's Paradise Lost and Byron's Don Juan, and so a form I invented called free rhyme, mm -hmm. in which every line rhymes, but there's no particular pattern. And so I can squish those rhymes together when I want to be sententious, mm -hmm. and I can space them out when I want the narrative to be more expository. Um, and so... Um, I think the fluctuation between the action scene, the meter of Beowulf, and the expository scene um, keeps the narration lively, keeps it from becoming monotonous. Mm -hmm. And so I think I um, solved some of the problems of the contemporary verse novel. It's been an obsession of mine to revive verse narrative mm -hmm. that has been out of style, um, my goodness, for um, a since we'll say Alfred Lord Tennyson's Idols of the King. Mm -hmm. Um yes, well over a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, great answer. Um I noticed the uh you know the, the variation of the rhyme and the chapters do have that function. We were interviewing um for the winter issue uh, Robin Cost Lewis and she was talking mm -hmm. about the book 
uh, the novel as like sort of a stiltifying agent in um in literary history like we're all sort of obsessed with writing novels and there's so many different ways to write a book so it's really cool to come across this book uh shortly after talking to robin about that because i think it really it really works as verse and i think that to me the difference between um prose and poetry is always sort of where it lives within your body like poetry sort of more in the body itself in the lungs and the shape of your breath and poetry I mean, in prose is usually more in the picture in your mind's eye. That's kind of how I always think of it. And so bridging that gap is a really interesting challenge. But but by varying it like that, you do a good job of um, of keeping us off balance in a, in a good way that makes the book really work, I think. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, do you want to read some more? Some more? One of those Beowulf chapters, maybe? Um, yes. I'll start out um, um, by reading, actually, if you don't mind, the opening of Beowulf itself in Old English. Ah, okay. Um, and then you, if you want, the audience can compare what I've done to the original. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so this here it is, the opening of Beowulf in Old English. Huat we gardener in yer daium, failed kinninga, thrimia frinon, hutha athelingus ellen fremadon, oft shield shaving, sheathina threatum, monagum maigthum, maild settler aftea. Edge soda eor loss. Very nice. And I will then show you um, what I made of the 21st century, uh, uh, yeah, in 21st century English that uses that same alliterative form. Um, this is an action scene um, in which you have gone to a house in the Upper East Side in order to recover the dragon's claw, this carved jade box. While you are there, the person from whom you received it is shot through the window, and Maoist gangsters have come to try to take this box from you. And so I'll read um, an action scene in which that takes place in which you run to the subway and try to escape from these gangsters. Um, page 27. Stay for a standoff? Stupid talk. Dutchie's dead, and duty dictates you steal his stash. Stuffing your backpack with contraband that houses horrors, perhaps, or an antique scam, you scout escape routes. Hopes out back, where blind bullets shot up the sunroom, shattered glass doors frame a plush paradise of produce. An Olympian lunge, and you land mashing sweet potatoes. Slats of slanted latticework lift your velocity over a ten-foot fence, and trash bags greet your lengthwise splat. Spoiled seafood nukes your nostrils, but now's no time to gag and grimace. Gung-ho gunmen have rushed the alley. Up instantly, you trust in your all-stars, your track training, but that weird weight whacking your backside shrinks your side, your stride, and saps stamina. There's hope, though. Hoo-ah! Half a block on, sunlit signage for a subway station. 
one leap from street level to the lower landing, and you start stumbling, but stay standing. Parades of posters rush up and push, iPhones, action flicks, online degrees, interminable tunnel, and the tough guys hunting you keep closing. Clips of silenced pot shots purring, Talking concrete before your feet, you're fucked, man, finished, until a heartening headwind howls in. By the grace of God, a getaway train. You hurdle a turnstile, then hide hunched down amid a cluster in the closest car. Ding, then dong, the doors have met, and rescue is rolling. You rise and smile, straining to strike stoic strap hangers as no, not a nut, a normal person. Focus, freak. Finish the mission. You lucked out, sure, but this line runs local the wrong direction and reeks like someone soiled himself. Screw mass transit. Once clear of the catacombs, you can catch a cab down to the village, dump daintily Armageddon or whatever it is at Warehouse Delta and unwind somewhere. Your mind is drifting toward dives and dartboards, warm waitresses, when whoosh, an emergency exit opens, outside air, Ruffles, coiffures, fucked up features peek in, pug-nosed, pugilistic. One of the goons, his gun a growth in pleated pants. Puke must have breached the next doors down and now is naughtily crossing cars. A crime in this town. Vlad, your Glock is getting giddy. But shots can shear in shaky surroundings, blast bystanders. It's bad news causing collateral damage. Don't yet, dumbass. Chill till chance chooses a path. Waiting, you're whistling, weighing angles when a curve kicks the car to larboard. Physics forcing freight straight on. You all stray starboard, and the start startles your instincts to action. On the upswing, back to balance, you bum rush ugly. Check him hard. Hack his heckler across the car. Cough, though, gasp. He bounces back as a black belt champ of duck and berry, poo-pooing punches like last year's fads. Faints footwork and your mouth is mashed a meat mustache sprouts spreads and the split lip smacks of old pennies at your eyes edges aghast grannies grinning fiends and hipster camera phones clicking close-ups stung by stardom you sound a wounded bellow Bear hug the ballet dancer against a grab bar and go gangbusters, kneeing his nuts. Neutered, his resistance coughs and crumples. Kicks quiet him. The train slackens, slithers to a station. Your fans file out. Some few may tell Metro Po Po 
but most migrate to the car next door. This kid, though, creeps up, 15, 16, his septum sporting stainless steel hoops, his hair a hennaed mess of dreads. An admirer, maybe? What's he want? Change? A chance to be champ? When you bark, beat it. The brat shoots you a sweet-ass smile and swipes your backpack. Well, thanks for that, Ari. Another fun passage. Um, so um, let me just say, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, it doesn't matter where you're listening. You might be listening live on Facebook, or I mean live on YouTube. Uh, click the like button. Make sure you share it with your friends. If you're watching on iTunes later, make sure you're subscribed and rate us five stars. Cause that's always helpful. If you're watching on Facebook, share it there. There's lots of ways to watch this podcast, and we love you no matter how you're listening or when. Um, so, so, Aaron... Um, let me ask, this seems like such a hard book to write, I would say. Like, I, it's really hard to imagine. You know, it's easy to imagine writing a lot of books. But, uh, but, but you have the sort of the difficulties of plot that a novelist would have while also having to generate poetry. So how did you actually go about writing it? Um, I storyboarded the whole every plot point um, as if I were making a movie. Um, about about to shoot a movie, and then the the risk was that I would blandly take care of plot points mm-hmm. and move the story forward and lose the poetry. Yeah, exactly. And so I wanted to find room to go crazy creatively and still advance the plot. And so what I did was open one word doc for each plot point, and it was one page. And I said, Aaron, you can go freaking crazy as long as you accomplish this one plot point. Mm -hmm. And then when I had gone through and written all of these word docs, I simply um, connected them, smoothed out the transitions, um, and was done. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Yeah, I was wondering if you'd storyboarded it like that, because it seems like you would have to. Um, How long did it take to write? um, This that book took me about six, seven years. <laughs> it took me a long, long time. I had to figure out how to write um, narrative poetry in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out those two different modes, the Beowulf mode and the expository mode. Um, and I was working on a bunch of other projects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got it down... Um, about four or five years in, and I was happy with the beginning chapters of the book. Mm-hmm. I was able to move much more rapidly. And so I'm now about to finish up the sequel to Mr. Either Or. It's called Mr. Either Or, All the Rage, um, which um, should be out um, in about a year. Oh, very cool. Yeah, glad to hear that. Um, if you have any more any questions for Aaron, um, if you're watching live on YouTube right now or the live stream, just let me know in the chat and I'll pass those along. But I think you have one more section from Mr. Either or you wanted to read. Is that right? Um, yes. Let's skip to the Chinese legend on page. Um, let's see on page um, 69. Okay. Um, this is um, my version of a Chinese legend that ex- describes a dragon and a Phoenix fighting. In King High Province, modest dunes in tomb, Emperor Xuanzu, and a reading room, where you might find among the spooled remains of hand scrolls from a literary age, 
quaint metaphysics by a nameless sage. The dragon and the phoenix, he maintains, are fire-fathered twins, and time, their mother, rouses them every hundred thousand years to feud until they neutralize each other. The guy is really good on how it's done. Just after dawn, a lizard grimace rears out of a crater, scratches gouge the edges, and bat wings flex their webbing in the sun. Earth shudders meanwhile, and a ripe divide discharges foul that in an instant fledges, leans leeward, and remembers how to glide. Drawn, then, by more than mating magnetism, each toward its bane, they intertwine and fight like yin and yang, the darkness and the light, because they must. Since the original schism, wedded warfare to the way of things, tension alone can keep the world in balance. Red shrieks incendiary. Claws and talons, tattering, feather-clad, and leathern wings. They rage straight through to twilight in the air. In the crater lakes, their combat slaps and churns. And over acreage, their breath makes barren. He, thunderbird. She, worm. They take their turns, winning and losing, till climactic spasms sunder them, and daylight disappears, and they collapse into adjacent chasms to sleep another hundred thousand years. So once again, that was uh, Mr. Either Or, a novel in verse that our guest today, Aaron Puchigian, is reading from. Um, so what's been the response to this book? Um, do people sort of think of it as poetry or do they, you know, if it's in a bookstore, do they put it in the poetry shelf still or do they put it in the thriller shelf? How does that work? It, it, um, it is shelved with poetry mm-hmm. as much as I might want it to be shelved yeah, with the thrillers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is still um, shelved with poetry. But the reception of it is, has been um, mostly that it is something that's unique. I've had some readers call it a, a cult classic mm-hmm. and I was flattered by that. That's great, yeah. Um, but that it is, um, yes, of its own class, mm-hmm. sui generis. Um, and um, I hope um, that others um, will write and publish verse novels and that we can revive the genre. There are only a few that come out mm-hmm. um, each year, and I wish there were more. Yeah, the only one I'm familiar with after all these years, well, we did two in Rattle. We did um, Tony Barnstone's Jack Logan Fighting mm-hmm. Airmen, which is a sonnet no, noir, I, yes. and, and that became a book later. And then there's also the Beowulf, uh, Wolf, which is a modernization of Beowulf by uh, Donald yes. Mace Williams. But I don't come across this stuff very often at all, and I read a heck of a lot of poems. So uh, it's really cool to see this, you know, expanding the, the possibilities of poetry. Yes, right now in poetry, I guess I can talk about the history. Um, it has to do with the rise of the novel, mm-hmm. actually, in the 18th century, going into the 19th century, replacing, um, taking narrative away from poetry. Um, and so mostly poetry now is, we find, lyric forms, whereas in the past, poetry was all literature. 
And so I want to take it back. I want poetry to do narrative. And I want plays to be in verse as well, like they used to be um, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so how did you um, get into poetry in the first place? That's something I'm always interested in every time we have a guest. Um, it's it's, it's a, a strange thing for, for people to be doing. And so everybody sort of has their sort of um, how I became a poet story. How did you become a poet? The I had, when I was 18, a freshman in college um, in Minnesota, um, I had a kind of religious experience. I was reading a humanities textbook, and the opening um, chapter, um, the opening section of the Greco-Roman section, there were the lines, the opening lines of Virgil's Aeneid in Latin. And I didn't know Latin, um, but I could just tell it was something amazing. And everything became clear, like actually the sky became brighter. Mm-hmm. And I was clear that I was supposed to learn classical languages and spend the rest of my life writing poetry. I <laughs> oh, know, wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great story. It sounds ridiculous, but it, yeah, it actually happened. Um, and so it's, I've just been doing that um, ever since I was 18. I never really had a period when I was trying to figure out um, after that, you know, what I was going to do with my life. It's just a question of um, getting the time that I need in order to do my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a struggle for everybody. Do you have any uh, recommendations for how to how to manage the time and find time to to spend seven years writing a book like this? Um, wow. <laughs> um, uh, what? I don't know. If this is the healthiest advice, but um, I mean, I just worked all the time. I mean, you set aside you set aside time not to work. Mm-hmm. because you can't work all the time. Um, eventually, it's like you're just scratching the bottom of the pot, and there's nothing more you can get out of it. And so you, rather than setting aside to work, I found myself setting aside time not to work so that my default mode was working on something, ah. whether it be the actual raw process of creation, which is exhausting, mm-hmm. or um, editing, which is slightly less exhausting. <laughs> um, um, and so I'm always playing with or working on something unless then I need to take time off to go out and have a drink with mm-hmm. friends or what. Yeah, um, yeah, but gotcha. yes. yeah, very good advice. Um, so you sent a few other, uh, poems to read. Do you want to start reading? You want to read a few, um, um, you know, poems not from the book? I do very much. Yes. Awesome. Um, and so, um, I'll read, um, some poems. This is a poem from my very first book, um, The Cosmic Purr. Um, before I was went to college, I played in rock bands, and I wanted to harness the energy of rock bands in this new yeah, poetry that I was writing. Um, and so this is a, a, sh- a, a poem about a band that's having a reunion show after breaking up. Um, it's called Reunion Show. Remember rage, the way we used to love it, and what mad masks we wore when we began. Think of the shrieking eagle on our van, the decal with its wings of flame, and our prophetic name, the downward spiral, the viral expansion of it, the perks and packed arenas before the groupies got between us, the label dropped us, and the fad wound down. Boys, since this bar is in a nowhere town, 
let's pound out with our amps cranked up to ten sincerer tribute to the angry art than we could handle at our start the blasphemy we hurled against the world back then was out of season now we have damned good reason to smash things up like ruined men and all my lyrics will be from the heart um i'd like to read now um a poem called happy birthday herod if that's okay yeah sure okay um this is um, a poem about um, the stepdaughter of King Herod. Yes, that King Herod um, of antiquity. Her name is Salome. And on his birthday, um, his stepdaughter did the dance of the seven veils for him. And he said he'd give her anything she wanted. And she asked for John the Baptist's head <laughs> on a platter. Famous. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, happy birthday, Herod. Like always, Herod's birthday is today, and I can hear the tambourine brioso. I can hear the oboe skirl. Like always, Salome is getting down to business, veil by veil. Her eyes are green, all other eyes obscene. Ravishers of a writhing girl are piercing what is see-through anyway. Like always, without fail, something repulsive has been done. Under the Dead Sea sun, another sort of flesh, that corpse, I mean, the headless one, is summoning the blowflies, fresh gratification for a mother's grudge. Like always, who am I to judge? indifferent to whatever moral thing a servant might be carrying around the party on a tray. I stand with stiff voyeurs, devouring those curves of hers, worshipping the elastic, the orgastic Salome. Forgive me, Herod's birthday is today. How many more should I read for you, Tim? Oh, we have about uh, maybe 10 minutes or so. So, um, you know, several more. I'll read read three more. I'll read, um, this is MMXVII, which is Roman numeral for 2017. Um, This is a poem that I um, published in Rattle. And so I wanted to read it. I was living in California at the time. And so there is a reference to um, forest fires um, actually attacking in Anaheim, attacking Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's timely again, I'm afraid, um, for other reasons as well. Um, 2017. One. How late's the age we live in? What I mean is now. A Thursday in the Holocene, wildfires are singeing Disneyland, and sea levels are rising, and I can't escape the sense of living in a libertine empire. The sense payback will wipe us clean out of creation. Hey, you hearing me? Yeah, you, my countryman, my fellow ape. Listen, on Sunday, 
when a brute wind gusted through the trailer in my pal's backyard. Stars and stripes is smashed like that. A shame. All those shivers lying in the mud, their edges threatening. There will be blood. Our world is breaking down as squirrels play in tall grass underneath a cottonwood. As lizards, easy in their creaturehood, sun on a stucco wall, I have to say the world is breaking down, down, down for good. If I could wrestle hope out of the way, if I got past, you know, I really should try doing something. If I understood time isn't working toward a better day, I would be beast content and bask for good. Four, absent an eschatology, bright birds are singing. We are one with ourselves, the children of the sun, while fluttering from tree to tree. Five, too much is broken, and there will be more headlines for hopelessness to wallow in. Angrier hurricanes, American disintegration into civil war. Sure, we might want to flit away and sing in private heavens sealed against the news, but such escape is cheap, as cheap as booze. What's hard is to affirm the following. Despite the bad times now and worse to come, despite disaster and a crass regime of lies and thugs, Despite the national scam, I will be conscious. I will not play dumb. Eyes tracking everything I can redeem. I will be right here. I will give a damn. I'll read um, two more poem poems, if that's okay, Tim. Yeah, sounds good. Um, one of them um, is called Hush Now, which I also wrote in California. Um, I fell asleep on my porch, on my lanai, and had a weird dream. Um, it's called Hush Now. Soon as the shift to darkness in the sky left me alone to my own dark lanai, I must have slipped off somewhere wild, since wan and long-haired, with a cowgirl flannel on, this chick was crooning like a lullaby, lyrics about a whole world gone awry. Hush, little pretty, hush, there, there. Day is done, and night has won, and ending times is everywhere. Don't cry, don't cry, ten years of drought. The plow is rust, the harvest dust. There's nothing left to fret about. Wolves long ago got through the fence, circled the fold, and as of old, done massacred the innocents. It's peaceful now. The mockingbird that trilled before don't sing no more. Papa's been gone for months, no word. Hush, little pretty, hush, there, there. Day is done, and night has won, and ending times is everywhere. She blew a kiss, dissolved, and there was dawn 
smog red, a credible phenomenon. Steel mesh immured, buzz, buzz, a frantic fly. World sirens were approaching. Hushabye. And I'll conclude with a poem called American Osiris. I was inspired to write this poem when I saw my, my nieces, who actually live in California, um, playing a game called Dead Man. It's a version of Tag um, in which um, someone is the dead man and then everyone else chants, dead man, dead man, come alive on the count of number five. And then they count to five and the one who's it, the dead man, gets up and chases them around as a zombie and tries to catch one. Um, and so it starts with that chant, slightly altered. American Osiris. Dead God, dead God, come alive on the count of number five. One, two, three, four. I sense dejection in the vegetation. I get how red a sun is going down. And there they go, the dogs all over town, howling like widows. Ambush, mutilation, dump sites across state lines. The deed is done. Street lights will keep on burning all night long in memory of you, the youth, the strong seed giver, the delight, the vital one. It's useless, but I want to strew funeral flowers, the orchid, the iris. Traffic on the avenue is sighing for the loss of you, American Osiris. I smell the crime. In Jersey, there's a scow tugging like rubbish, your indignant liver up the Passaic, post-industrial river. And all the sap in you has turned crude now and soaks from ruptured pipes into the prairie. Your sex is wild boars goring Arkansas. Who axed you, handsome? Who has dumped you raw on this democracy? this cemetery. Sorrow has spread from coast to coast like a saccharine song or seasonal virus. You are what weighs on us the most. Darling and carcass, God and ghost, American Osiris. Dead God, dead God, come alive on the count of number five. One, Two, three, four. Well, Aaron Pachigian, everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Tom Brown uh, says the words of a true bard, and I completely agree with Tom Brown in the chat. So uh, thanks so much, Tom. And uh, thanks so much, Aaron Pachigian, for uh, that great poetry reading. It really is a throwback to um, when poetry is really rich and has value, you know, Um so, so thanks so much for joining us and for writing these great books. Yes, thank you very much, Tim. I enjoy watching. Looking forward to the rest of the episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Um, okay, have a good night. Thank you. Bye. So, uh, yeah, so that was Aaron Pachigian, our poet for today. Um, and once again, he was reading mostly from his book, Mister Either Or, 
a novel in verse. Um, it's available from Etruscan Press. Um, so check it out. Um, I think the link we have is Amazon.com. I'm not sure if that's the best way to buy it. As always, try to buy from um, from publishers who are more direct than Amazon if you can. But um, but beautiful poetry. Uh, Tom Brown is blown away. Anne Marie Champagne says a great title on that last poem. Coco loves the darkness. Um, so thanks to everybody who joined us that way um, um, and helped uh, you know make this feel like we're all sitting around enjoying poetry in the chat room. Uh, um, so now we're going to move on to our open mic portion. I have a couple poets um, pre-recorded, and I have um, Patrick Murphy, Joshua Corwin, and Coco lined up to uh, read over Skype. So let's start with a quick poem as we get that all set up. Um, the first open mic poet is going to be Alexander Antic, reading his poem, The Illness. And um, here we go. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Alexander Antic. I'm a poet from Serbia. And here's a little poem I wrote about a very contemporary condition, if you will. It's called The Illness. You've already fallen prey to the doubt that makes you weak. And you know what they'll say before they even try to speak. And indeed, why even bother? All of this you already knew. Why talk to one another? All talk is stupid and untrue. Thank you. So that was Alexander Antic from Niche, Serbia, reading his poem, The Illness. And... Um, um, Alexander Antic is a poet from Serbia. He published his first collection of poems in Serbian, Pesme o Nisimu i Svasimu. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, translates to poems about nothing and everything in 2016. And he loves writing in English too. He has a B in English language and literature, and he works as a translator. So thanks so much for sharing that poem with us, Alexander. Um, and now I think I realized that I forgot to adjust the volume levels for these uh these open mic poems. So if anybody's too quiet, we'll just cut it off again and bump it to next week. Um, sorry if that's the case for anybody who's lined up on the pre-recorded. Um, just have a lot to juggle as I put these episodes together. So now let's try um, Patrick Murphy on Skype. Um, and I will uh, mute my end of the mic. I'm calling him now. Um, Patrick Murphy, can you hear me? Okay, just one second. Let me pull you into the broadcast. and um, Let me pause the broadcast real quick. Yeah, pause it on your end. And um, let me... Uh, here we go. You're on, you're on screen, and we hear you and see you. So, hello, Patrick Murphy. Where are you calling from? Hey, I'm calling from Dayton, Ohio. Ah, thanks so much. Um, and uh, how's the weather there today? <laughs> um... That's a good question. I honestly didn't leave the house. Well, that's, in my opinion, that's always a nice day. I love not leaving the house, or especially not leaving our little little small town. Yes, um, pretty much. Um, I 
I heard someone say it was nice out, so mm-hmm. we'll go with that. Okay, sounds sounds good. Um, so, uh, so what do you have for us today uh, uh, on the open mic? Um, okay, I have something that I've been working on. It's I like to present works that aren't finished at open mics just to like kind of get a feel for them. Yeah, sounds good. And, and people are watching on the chat, so they can tell you any suggestions or thoughts they have uh, live right now if they if they want to. So okay, I'll, I'll just get right into it. Okay, please do. It's called okay. First, there's two references. There's a poet by the name of Richard Sykin and a book called Crush. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So I'm going to get into the poem itself. It's called Reading Crush on a Sunday Afternoon. If only Sykin understood how I swoon, where he bends and folds even with coffee-covered pages, his words elate a summer inside me that I've never felt. And with intricate fingers I owed to a page, one that left me in something I'd ought. As soon a passerby will pass, and his toxin-filled lungs will impeach a word, hello. And through the air it travels, like birch on a tree, something that everyone knows. And in this forest comes a war, one that is all too familiar to these eyes where the screams of Saturday night blues pile on the ground like erate objects and soon explode into a shrapnel of words. And inside these words come bullets that run down my back like beads of sweat. They get choked up and clogged inside me. That clean, well-dressed individual walks closer. We engage in what is known as tactical surfacing. A new kind of warfare where I feel his skin and temperature to make sure he won't erase me from existence. And he feels my sweat to know he is in control. And then we shake hands as I sit back down. If only real human contact was as easy as words. If only I knew people like poetry. End poem. Thank you, Patrick Perfect. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. All right. Um, Yeah, have a great night and I hope you call it again. All right, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Good night. Okay, so uh, now let's move back to one of the pre-recorded ones and hope I have the volume loud enough. Uh, this is going to be... Uh, let's go back to the dot cam. This is going to be Eric Bischoff from Boston, Massachusetts. He's reading... Uh, well, let's see. Hopefully it's uh, morning afternoon. Let's see. Hi. My name's Eric Bischoff. I'm 21 years old, and I live in Boston. You know, we are going to, uh, let's see. That's a little too quiet. I'm going to have to do that next week. Sorry, Eric, I forgot to uh, adjust the levels. I want to make sure everybody can hear your poem when you read it. So we'll do that next week. Let's try uh, J. Thomas Brown, who I saw him here on the chat. Um, Hopefully his was loud enough originally. Let's see. Uh, this is In a Dark Room um, by J. Thomas Brown from Henrico, Virginia. Here we go. My name is J. Thomas Brown. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. My poem is In a Dark Dream. The poem uh, appears in Lingering in the Margins, a River City Poets anthology. This uh, anthology came out this spring, published by Chop Suey Books. The... Um, musical accompaniment with a poem is Peace in the Valley. And it was originally written by Thomas Dorsey for Mahalia Jackson. It became a hit with um, 
Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show, and uh, Presley dedicated it to the refugees of the Hungarian Revolution. In a Dark Dream Sleep, Elvis, dream of summer days gone by, in the heated beat of promise, the anticipation of something new, dancing on endless highways through the dashboard radio. Dream, Elvis, in the land of summer now, on the road of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, in the heat of hair-dryer winds, kicking blind in a simoom, the sheath of a grim giant. Shake it over the Tigris, rock in the Abu Ghraib, rattle and wail to tears and mourning in a pink Cadillac jihad, blast them into the space age, baby oily pelvis. Rock and roll forever in shifting desert sands, Awash with the blood of ancients from your guitar hands, you are dancing in a dark dream. Where is the idol we once knew? Where has your song gone to? Take the road home to the land of promise. Give us back our dreams. We'll be waiting for you here. So once again, that was... It's J. Thomas Brown, who's here in the chat. Hi, Thomas. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that great poem. I love the musical accompaniment. Um, just to read his bio really quick, J. Thomas Brown, short stories have appeared in the Zoo, Fence, Scarlet Leaf Review, and Everywhere are Stories. Um, he has contributed poems to Lingering in the Margins. Um, he has two published novels, Land of Three Houses and The Hole in the Bone. A collection of poems with audio called Moon Calf will be released, well, was released in September 2019, which is a perfect uh, little segue to let you know that um, if you would like to do these um, pre-recorded open mics, there is about a one-month backlog I have. I'm trying to do a few every 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 show, and um, you know these are from stuff that was submitted about a month ago, so there's going to be a bit of a delay, but we really appreciate everybody sending them in. Thanks so much to Tom Brown. And uh, thanks to introducing the poem in a really lovely way, too, and adding the, the music that, that really adds to the show. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, uh, Th- J. Thomas Brown. Now I'm going to call, um, let's see, let's call, let's call Coco. Um, see if she picks up. I didn't get a last name on the, in the chat message she sent, so I'm not sure if there's more or if it's just Coco. Let's see. Hi, Coco. Um, I'm about to pull you in. Um, I can hear you. And I can see you. Okay. Ah, Coco, I remember you called in earlier, didn't you? A couple, maybe a month ago. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Are you in New York City? Wait, wait, hang on. Hang on. Before you answer, I got to actually pull you into the stream. And then we can actually talk. <laughs> okay. So, so Coco, did, did you uh, call in like a month ago? And are you from New York City? Am I thinking of the right person or is that someone no, else? I'm from California. Oh, okay. So I'm thinking of somebody completely different. Okay. So Coco, who, uh, is it just Coco? Just Coco. Awesome. Well, Coco. awesome. Well, thanks so much for calling in. Oh, you know what? You were, did you come to the Wrightwood Literary Festival? Um, I went to some of the... Oh, the, my- that's where I remember you from. Okay, yeah. 
Aqua Bookstore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and La Cunada yeah. at the at the Flint Ridge Bookstore. Yeah, that's, funny. that's where I Flint remember Ridge you from. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, so so what do you have? <laughs> yes, yeah, so so, uh, so what do you have for us today? I'm going to be reading from a poem from my book Unicorn Psychosis, which is available on Amazon, and um, this poem was also featured in Spectrum 19 Soul Clean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a poem on suicidal ideation, so trigger warning, everyone. Okay. <laughs> this is, uh, would, you no- would you notice me? If I hung myself from a tree in front of where you live, would you notice me? Eyes bulging, feet twitching like a fish out of water, or would the electricity of my cut live wire electrify you in guilt? What if I drown myself in your pool, floating on the water like a buoy bobbing gratuitously? Or would you just skim me out of the pool of your life? Maybe if I blew my brains out in your office, you would notice me there, splattered against the wall like the spaghetti dinner you threw indignantly, angry. At the mere insolence of my existence and pretentious dreams of acceptance. The swan guy from a tall building or suicide bridge is just too cliche. I'm not looking for a captive audience to talk me down. This isn't a cry for attention or premeditated pretense. I can swallow all my medication in one big gulp. Chase my opioid-filled happiness with sedated peace. Staggered steps, chasing breaths, foaming bubbles of rabid sadness, perhaps slitting my throat would best capture your attention. A merlot-colored waterfall from my smiling flesh. Cooled memories flood the floor of manic depression. How about if I clothed myself in plastic explosives? I am the first of four girls, all conveniently named with a C. Would you help me push the button to purge my soul from the tyranny of words? My confetti hearts decorate everything. Within a three-mile radius, what do you see in the Rorschach images along the wall? A work of art by Paul Jackson Pollock, perhaps? I think that I'm feeling much better now. Thank you. And I'm actually standing outside of NAMI. Um, I'm part of NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, we have an event tonight. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So what is that again? Sorry, I was about to sneeze. If anybody, I have, it's. Oh, um, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental <laughs> Sorry um, about I'm that. I'm part of the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm part of the San Gabriel Valley Division for um, Mental Health and Mental Health Awareness. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's such important work. Thanks so much for doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And thanks so much <laughs> thanks for, for having the bravery to show that poem. <laughs> and um, uh, thank you to Spectrum for publishing that, you know, being the first to have that available. Um, it's gotten great responses amongst those who are struggling. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they really appreciate the work, and I hope it does make a difference. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Say the name of the book again one more time, and maybe hold it up so people can. Oh yeah, see. yeah, it's a unicorn psychosis. Unicorn psychosis. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Coco. Um, hope you call in thanks. again. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Have a great you night. too. Bye. Bye. Okay, so uh, so that was Coco, and we have one more uh, Joshua Corwin on the open mic. Let me. We have one more poem too, on the uh, pre-recorded uh, poems. Hopefully, uh, this is uh, L. I. Henley. Hopefully, it was loud enough. I, I don't want to have to cut somebody else to next episode because I was silly. Okay, uh, here is uh, L. I. Henley from Joshua Tree, California. This is L.I. Henley of Joshua Tree. Yeah, you know what? That is, uh, that's too quiet, too. We're going to do that and the other poem next week. I'm very sorry. I have to remember uh, to, uh, to turn up the volume on some of these audio files. I just forgot. Um, and I did that a couple weeks ago, too. So um, sorry for that. I'm learning as I go. There are a bunch of uh, things I have to practice with. Um, okay, so we have one more open mic poet, then. And uh, let me bring him in and he'll see if he answers his call. This is uh, Joshua Corwin, who's been on maybe twice before, I think. He's an L.A. poet, like Coco. Um, yeah, Joshua, so, yeah, so Joshua answered. I'm going to pull him in just one second. He's muting his live stream, which is important, so there's not a big echo. Um, yeah, you're good. Okay, so I'm pulling you in. Um, and just one second. And I want to also make sure that before you pull me in, can you see the full text of this? Um, I can. Yeah. Wait. I've already pulled you Wait. in though. So <laughs> however that does. Okay. okay. Yeah. Am I in? Yep. You're in. So, uh, so Joshua, you, uh, you're calling from, if I remember like long, long beach, right? Uh, no, from, uh, yeah, from, uh, Los Angeles, California. Just Los Angeles. Okay. There we go. And uh, if I remember right uh, from today, hopefully I can remember from this afternoon, you have some good news to share with everybody, right? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, wait, this thing can be very annoying sometimes. <laughs> Let me just do that. Um, yeah, I am also, uh, I just got nominated for the 2019 push card. Congratulations, is- yeah. Yeah, uh, Pushcart Prize for uh, in Okahima Poetica. And in fact, I happened to. Um, sorry, I was watching myself. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I happened to um, read that for Radical Ass number nine, mm-hmm. which was awesome for when uh, Alexandra was featured. Yeah, so everybody I, I who, who wants yeah. to hear that poem can go back yeah. and listen to Joshua read it back on episode number nine. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that one will also be in my book. That's uh, fourth. Uh, that's going to be coming soon in a bit. Uh, that's called "Becoming Vulnerable." Mm-hmm. That's uh, actually about um, me growing up. Uh, it, it, it's about me growing up with autism mm-hmm. um, and struggling with addiction and sobriety and finding spirituality. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and also, by the way, in terms of coca, oh. Uh, I love Coco. I, 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 I like met her some time ago. Oh, really? and She's amazing. Yeah. I, I 
I love her. Well, she's that's, awesome. It's great to hear. And, yeah. uh, she's like my Ezra Pound. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, so, so, okay, uh, so, so you have a different this. poem for us right now, right? Yep, that is right. Okay, Let so what do you got? If, if this works, is there a way to flip this? Um, can you see? We can see, but we don't have to. Well, now we see the... Oh. Yeah, we don't have okay. to see it. You can just read it. That's fine. Okay, sounds good. This is a poem that's actually, speaking of, it's going to be as well, um, forthcoming in Spectrum for their special edition, uh, uh, Cento. Uh, and Cento, uh, for those of you who don't know, means it's basically a patchwork poem. It's a rearrangement. Um, usually you take lines of another poem and you piece it together. Um but for me, what I did is I did individual words that I took from a poem and I patched those together to get something completely different. Um, so the cento that I took was Emma Lazarus's The New... Uh, I took Emma Lazarus's The New Colossus, um, which is on the Statue of Liberty. And what I did is I took each uh, a bunch of the words and I did an erasure and then I made a cento from that. And it's called Imprisoned Lightning. And I think this very well reflects the state of America right now. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Imprisoned lightning. Keep conquering. Command silent lips. Refuse these wretched homeless. Send huddled masses to sea-washed gates. Mother of exiles tired. She shall not lift her beacon hand, our land imprisoned her lightning. Thank you. Thank you, Joshua. Um, do you, and you are starting a new journal, uh, yeah, which is about I, I um, Cento poetry, be, right? So why don't you tell everybody about that? It's actually a good good yeah, timing it, because it, we, as far as I know, are publishing um, our first Cento in Rattle ever uh, this winter. It's by Sean Ballard. Um, he's a San Bernardino wow. poet. He lives in Alaska now. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I don't think, as far as I know, we've never published a cento before. So we have one coming up in the issue that I'm sort of putting together right yeah. now. So, so what and is your? Uh, are, yeah, really, apparently, I've recently been. Uh, you know, it's really great. You could circle words, mm -hmm. circle lines, piece them together. I had a lot of fun with the cento of Allen Ginsberg's uh, uh, howl. Mm -hmm. And that recently sparked my interest, particularly in uh, the as well as the Spectrum Special Edition for this thing that I'm. I it's not yet all, um, up and fully loaded, mm -hmm. uh, but it's this thing called Cento P, mm -hmm. which is going to be an online literary magazine um, that takes Cento's only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And what they're going to be is, uh, and it's like Cento P, like. That, mm -hmm. but instead spelled c-e-n-t-o-p-e-d -E. yeah very nice is it dot, so dot com be, yeah centopee.com awesome. it's not up yet like fully functional it's not fully operational mm -hmm. <laughs> but um get ready it, it might be about a month or so um but it i do have an email mm -hmm. and a domain and the site is up it's not in full functioning yeah, yeah. but it's getting ready. Well, all these shows are archived, and people will be watching them, you know, 10 years from now. So, um, you know, we'll see the original day Cento, Centipede started. So, uh, yeah, so you have your word Centos, mm -hmm. with, like I said, for the Emma Lazarus, then your basic line Centos. And then I, 
actually came up with something. And uh, as far as I know, nobody's ever done this ever. It's called a metacento, which means that it's a would be a multiple sequence thing. I actually came up the term completely. Uh, you take a, uh, one poem, uh, you take like, let's say you do a word cento or a line cento, mm-hmm. and then you say that's part one of your sequence. Then what you do is you do a cento, either a word cento or a line cento based off of that sequence with add some erasures in there. And then you can keep going and iterating it. My idea is that somebody could eventually have an entire book if they do mm-hmm. it right, having all the permutations and iterations of that from one single poem either an epic or a short oh wow that's interesting yeah 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 so, so check that out those are the three yeah types. it's centop.com yeah. and and thank yeah. and congratulations again on your uh, push chart nomination joshua thank yeah. you yeah yeah, take, yeah take care have a good night and, and do call okay. in again bye, bye. Uh, yeah so that was joshua corwin i'm going to try one more time I, I just realized there might be a way i can turn up the volume that i hadn't thought of so let me see if that's actually possible before we uh we say good night let me um uh, let me back to me um yeah let me try this because I realized maybe if I turn this up let me try uh this is Eric Bischoff from Boston Massachusetts again and I might be able to turn it up loud enough so you all can hear um hi my name's Eric Bischoff I'm 21 years old and I live in Boston and I write poems. This is a poem about polyamory and a special person. Um, it hasn't been published anywhere, and it might never be, but I hope to give it to that person eventually. It's called Morning After Note. I wanted to write a poem about the small things, the corner of the condom wrapper stuck to your ass Mattress crying of laughter, and isn't it strange to some it's almost taboo to laugh at all in the act, yet it's what we want most to do. I wanted to write to you about the kiss you give me before you go to bed with my roomie, about the sweet sleep I have after, about the love you give as openly, freely as laughter, about my eye smile dilating in the light of all the love that surrounds you. I wanted to write a poem about the songs you sing to your empty house behind the door I wait for you to open, about the way two bad flirts can sometimes make a good one, about the thumb that keeps rubbing my knuckle even when you fall asleep, about the way I hold you as if I could carry you through my dreams. It's true, I really only wanted to write you a poem about the small things, but I ended up with a very big thing indeed. My name is- so hopefully that worked. Uh, so I cranked up the volume as loud as it could possibly go um, on my on one setting, and uh, maybe that was loud enough. If not, I'll be watching this in the replay later, um, and I'll, I'll learn if that worked or not because it's kind of hard to uh, figure out what works and what doesn't until you watch it after the fact. But that was Eric Bischoff. Uh, he's a poet living in Boston, Massachusetts. He writes a lot of poetry with the intention of reading it out loud and performs at small get-togethers around the city. He's had work published in Stork Magazine, The Underground, Oddball Magazine, and twice in Concrete Literary Magazine. Um, and he, like, he writes mostly about anxiety, depression, paranoia, queerness, and bright moments. So that was, again, Eric Bischoff uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. 
Um, okay, and then uh, um, ah, Kim Teacher said it worked. So so apparently I have a solution. Thanks so much, um, Kim, for letting me know that it worked. Um, so then we can do our last open mic poet tonight, and this is Li Henley from right down the street from me in uh, Joshua Tree, California. Uh, here she is, and I can read her bio. She was born and raised in the Mojave Desert town of Joshua Tree. She's the author of two chapbooks, Desert with a Cabin View and The Finding. Her second full-length collection, Starshine Road, won the 2017 Perugia Press Prize. In October 2019, What Books Press of Santa Monica will publish her novel in verse whole night through. So check that out from uh, What Books Press. Um, and... Um, Let's see, with her husband, Jonathan Mall, she edits the literary and visual journal, A Perkus. So visit her at lihenley, that's L-I-H-E-N-L-E-Y dot com. And here she is reading her poem, Tess, and I think this should work, so let's hope so. This is L.I. Henley of Joshua Tree, California. And I'll be reading a poem from my new novella in verse, called Whole Night Through, just published by What Books Press of Santa Monica. The collection tells the story of Ella and her young Marine husband who have moved out to 49 Palms, California from the East Coast. And she has a lover who is also a Marine named Michael, who ends up being her suspected killer there's also Tess, who is their neighbor on the, on the Marine base. And Tess is the person who sort of observes and watches the relationship form between Ella and her lover, Michael. And she is sort of um, a seer in all of this. She knows that things are not going to go well. She sees the darkness that is coming. So this is a poem uh, with Tess speaking. And this poem was published in Waxwing. It's true, I've seen them kissing on the porch where my kitchen window faces Ella's door. Those little wrists ringed with a dozen bracelets. And there I am, rinsing dishes staring and the staring made them change like one of those ink blots or like when a toppled rocking chair is a bent back creature skulking in the den at 5 a.m. until the light makes it a buffalo a mountain then finally a chair again is it the staring that makes a man into a bear, a woman into a deer, white tail fanned, a long kiss into a python, forever swallowing its meal. I admit to refreshing my lowball glass more than once. I admit to pressing myself to the warm oven after he lumbered away to letting a pot boil over and not wiping up the milky water. I admit to letting dinner burn. 
And that was Eli Henley from Joshua Tree, California, reading Tess. And um, that was from her book that was just released by What Books Press, uh, Whole Night Through. And it was originally published in Wax Wing in 2018. Uh, thanks so much for Eli Henley for sharing that. And uh, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I had a great time. Um, our poet today, of course, was uh, Aaron Puchigian, so check out his books. I don't know if I mentioned his website, but I think he has a website at AaronPuchigian.com. And I um, and, um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, let's see, next week uh, we have an excellent show lined up for you. This is uh, Janet Fitch. And this, this week, we, this month we had a, or this week, we had a, a novel in verse, and next week we have a novel full of verse instead. Um, Janet Fitch is um, best known for her uh, best-selling novel, White Oleander, which was made a major motion picture. But her last two books, The Revolution of Marina M. and uh, Chimes of a Lost Cathedral, are both about poets during the Russian Revolution. And um, Janet Fitch is one of the most amazing writers I, I've ever met. Um, and she has, so each character has their own poetic style and their own poetic voice and their own subject matter. And she built them as characters and wrote the poems for them. So this is a book that has a whole bunch of actual poetry in it. And uh, this will be Janet Fitch's uh, first first poetry reading, I guess you could say, for her book, uh, for her pair of books, uh, The Revolution of Marina M. and Chimes from a Lost Cathedral. So that's going to be a lot of fun next week. And I hope you join us then. And um, in the meantime, I will see you later. Have a good week. Bye.